Welcome to the Media Navigators podcast, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker, and I'm the Chief Executive. Today, we're going to be talking about all things international, which is appropriate given we're the World Media Group, the implications around diversity for our industry, and also what we can learn from politics and potentially what politicians could learn from marketeers. Uh, so starting us off as an internationalist, we, um, my co-host this morning is Sarah Thorpe, who's the Managing Director for Europe for the New York Times, and also a natural-born American currently living in the UK. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Hi, Belinda. I'm great. Thanks for having me this morning. Brilliant. And uh, we're going to be talking to um, Annalise Valk. Now, Annalise is another internationalist, uh, half Dutch, half Irish, and also currently living in London. Uh, she is the global brand strategy manager for Vodafone and also a podcaster herself. So any of you who speak Dutch uh, should look out for her podcast, Hotcast, the podcast. Hi, Annalise. How are you doing today? Hi, Belinda. Good morning. I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for the invitation. <laughs> I'm glad you're well. Um, so, Sarah, shall I hand over to you to start us off? Absolutely. I'll, I'll dive right in. Uh, so, Annalise, um, I know politics are important to you personally, and you've been really active politically in the Netherlands. Um, when we were all chatting and preparing for this podcast, you drew some interesting parallels between political campaigning and brand marketing in terms of both the approach and the life cycle. Um, can you please share a little bit more with us about that today? Of course. Um, yeah, I do think politics are important for anyone, uh, especially right now in the world. And I think it's become increasingly uh, obvious um, in the situation that we're in. But I do think there is a lot of parallels between politics and brand marketing. I mean, both are about having a vision um, as a politician or having a purpose as a brand, which are very similar. Um, and it's about listening to your customer, if you're a brand, or listening to your constituents, uh, if you're a politician, and um, delivering on your promise, essentially, as a brand. Uh, when you promise something, you need to live up to that and deliver on it. And I think that's also the expectation that people have from politicians. Uh, and if you don't do that, um, that's when you get scrutiny in both situations. So I think actually there's a lot of uh, parallels. And I think from a communications point of view, let's say, um, it also starts with like having a relevant message that resonates with people so they choose you. So either they buy your product or they give you their vote. Um, essentially, it's about resonating with your target audience. And I think in that sense, there's a lot of parallels. Um, I think you know, what, what brands can learn from politicians and vice versa um, is what you see in politics is a lot of like the power of repeated messages. Um, like let's say Obama's Yes We Can, uh, which of course became really famous and really something um, that we that that really partly won him the vote, um, as well as Nike's Just Do It, which they continuously use repeatedly. 
Um, so I think, you know, if you have a message, be that a slogan or a tagline or a message like get Brexit done, if you continue to repeat that, it uh, sticks with consumers' minds or voters' minds. Um, another parallel is increasingly through the digital age, I think the power of an image, um, be that a color that you use consistently and a logo or an icon for a brand or, you know, good photography or photography that really captures a specific moment or position uh, for a politician. And I think increasingly what politicians are learning from brand marketeers is that, you know, that consistency and branding and format, let's say, is really something that is giving them cut through online. Um, a good example, I think, here in the UK right now is um, Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, who has um, an incredible content team around him who really um, consistently like push his content out with a similar look and feel, similar um, icon, like his signature is on all of his different pieces of content. And it really starts to feel like a brand that is um, that is talking to you. So I think that there's a lot of things that we learn from politicians and uh, vice versa. But essentially, I mean, I can go on with the parallels. There's many of them. You need a story that differentiates. Uh, that can cut through, that shows how you're different from your competitor. If you are a telco, if you are a sweets brand, if you're a drink, uh, there's a lot of uh, other brands out there. Similar to there's a lot of politicians out there. And what will make people pick you is um, having a, a certain point of view and a certain uh, distinction that the other one doesn't have. So I'd say if you'd summarize what the parallels are and uh, the overlaps, I think you know, branding is all about appealing to people's dreams and politics is about selling hope. And actually there's a lot of parallels in both of them. And um, yeah, I think um, that's it. Can I just ask another question on that? I'm curious to know if you think that there's one thing that brands consistently get better than politicians or conversely that politicians consistently get better than brands. Um, I think what brands get better than politicians is often politicians only campaign once every four years and uh, it takes them time to build this new campaign and then they start to look at, you know, actually uh, what is uh, happening, um, how should we adapt our campaign uh, and they have quite a lot of time to strategize for that, whereas brands obviously are so always on, let's say, uh, nowadays that you continuously have to reinvent yourself. So I'd say brands are a lot more agile and adaptable and do that a bit better, I'd say. Um, I think what politicians do better than brands is increasingly brands are getting better at it, but it's really standing uh, for something and standing up for something. And I think some brands are excellent at that. Uh, some others are a little bit less so. And I think 2020 has shown, you know, there's a cost of not speaking up as a brand. I think politicians do that a bit better. Uh, and that's something we can get inspiration from. That's really interesting. Also makes me slightly nervous, the, uh, you know, the Trump effect perhaps, but anyway. Um, love to know what prompted you to, to do that and also how you've integrated what, what you've learned from your postgrad into your role at Vodafone. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I did a postgrad at Oxford on uh, political thinking in the 20th century. And uh, I did that because 
firstly, I'm really like a believer of lifelong learning. I really loved academics. I loved studying my first master's degree. Um, and I thought I moved to London. Uh, there are so many amazing universities very close by. If you have the opportunity to do it, like you should do it when you're in the proximity of these great institutions. So I did go back um, and I figured I'd give it uh, like as a gift to myself for my 30th birthday. And then I told my parents, they were quite blown away that I had become so sensible <laughs> that that was the gift to myself. And they were proud too. So they kindly contributed to it as a birthday gift. And uh, I think, you know, at the risk of sounding very millennial, but I think a gift like that is much more valuable than anything um, materialistic that I might get bored of uh, after a year or two. So it was kind of a gift and a moment to kind of reflect. And as you said, I was always very interested in politics as well. So I wanted to get a bit more academic about it. Um, what I learned from it is, I think a lot, you know, I'm a, yeah, as you mentioned, a brand strategist. I think in the broadest sense, I've become more acutely aware of what is going on in the world and how that influences brands. Um, and I think that is something that anyone who works on a brand uh, or is a planner uh, is really important for you to have that outside in view. Um, and I think, you know, politics is a very broad word as well. It can mean a lot of things. It could be from like political parties, political policies, but it's also more broadly anything that is relevant or that has political origins. So you could talk about education, healthcare, values, assumptions. A lot of it is rooted in politics. So any consumer decision that is made about your brand or your product is probably influenced by politics in one way, shape or form. So I thought it was really important for me to understand more of the system that goes behind those consumer habits. Um, and I think, you know, 2020 has uh, been an incredible year to look at it from that perspective in that a lot of brands deal with consequences of policies this year. Uh, for me working at a communications company, I mean, um, rules that you have to work from home or you can't go to school, you need to be homeschooled are so uh, of such big influence to us as a company. And the same will be uh, applicable to many of the other brands out there. Also movements like Black Lives Matter, which are very politically rooted, have affected nearly all of the big brands around the world this year. So I think overall, you know, it's good to have an understanding of political thinking, the various streams. And um, it's about understanding how the world works and what your brand's role is in it. Uh, so therefore, I think, yeah, it's highly valuable, definitely. I love the fact that you gave that to yourself as a present. I, I'm you know, on top of your day job, or oh, I just think I'll just do a, a quick postgrad um, as a gift to myself. <laughs> All right. So, um, so Annalise, uh, another thing we wanted to talk to you about today um, was that kind of the, the larger issue of diversity and inclusion. And um, this has been an, an important topic for quite some time, but kind of picking up on the theme of politics, um, if we just think about that theme in the year 2020, really, truly globally, this, this topic has picked up major steam and it's become really important, um, kind of a must, a must address issue for brands out there. So many brands are trying to quote, show up around the issue of diversity. Um, this is of course easiest to do um, with their creative and also with all their public comms. 
um, it is harder and takes a lot longer to do the transformational work to actually make kind of our own companies more diverse and inclusive, and also just to kind of transform change in the world. Um, I'm curious to know um, kind of how you guys are trying to do this at Vodafone and kind of specifically, um, you know, from everything along that cycle from kind of how you show up as a brand with your messaging and also as you think about, um, you know, how you work with different vendors, how you think about your own kind of uh, workforce, all those sorts of things. I'm sure you have many other things that you're thinking about as well. Yeah. Um, thank you, Sarah. I do think this is a very important topic and it has gotten increased attention, I'd say, this year. But most of the uh, big corporations and brands have been um, working on this for, I'd say, definitely like the last seven to five years, which is, um, I think, also the period in which we've been really focused on this. Um, I'm very passionate about equality and I would really wish that there was like a silver bullet quick fix for it. However, I do think it's definitely like a long-term goal that needs grit. You need to really continuously work on it. And more importantly, I think it needs an approach that is very holistic. So I'd say starting with the data, analyzing what the actual problem is for you as a company or the problem or the issue or what the challenges are that you as a company face and then finding a solution for all those various parts that you rightly mention, uh, both internally and externally. So I can give you an example for uh, gender specifically, um, which is um, an issue that obviously over the last five years has become quite prominent also in public discourse, but which doesn't only apply to the workforce, but is also from a consumer point of view, something that you can look at. So if we look at gender, for example, what we did firstly is did a big analysis on, you know, what is the state of mobile and connectivity around the world and what, um, you know, how are we indexing, let's say. And actually one of the key things that we found is that um, around the world, if you look at everyone who has a mobile phone, uh, there's 200 million less women who own a phone than men. So there's a huge, what we call mobile gender gap, let's say, and that's mostly driven by emerging markets, but not only. And it's not just an issue of income inequality and that leading to phone ownership or the lack of it, but it's also in a lot of countries culturally defined or uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people might not have access to the internet. Whereas we believe having access to the internet um, is crucial to, let's say, thrive in life or to create opportunities for yourself from, if it's from education, social contacts, financial, you know, there's a lot of benefits that you have from being connected. So what we, for example, said more from a product point of view, this is, is how can we make sure that more women have access to technology so we set this target to connect 50 million women, additional women by 2025. Um, and that is a big program that we uh, work mostly with our emerging markets to, um, you know, connect women for the first time and do that through a whole wide range of propositions. Like, for example, in India, one of the key reasons that girls don't have a phone is um, that culturally the dads or the brothers don't like the girls to have a phone when they're teenagers because it gives them too much maybe independence. Um, and what we developed there is a proposition called Photophone Saki, which is um, basically um, a SIM card that you can get if you're um, a girl and it gives you a free 
always free credit to call emergency hotlines when you're out on the street at night and you don't feel safe. It always gives you three numbers that you can call. You can always share your location. And that really um, addressed one of the key issues that everyone had in India is that women don't feel safe on the streets. And therefore, we connect these women. And that has a positive impact on the whole society, let's say. So that's from a product point of view. But there's so many different layers, as you say, that you should look at. So from an advertising point of view, which is also, um, you know, an area that uh, I think has gotten better over the last five years or so, but there was also a big gap, I'd say, in representation and this whole idea of if you can see her, you can be her, you know, there needs to be more role models in advertising. Um, so, for example, the Unstereotype Alliance from the UN Women, which were uh, one of the members of, um, I think, has done great work in really you know, giving useful tools for brands to uh, change the way that you create advertising. Most importantly, not just in front of the camera, but also behind the camera. So look at, you know, what kind of teams you work with, how many female creative directors do you have in your agencies, etc. So these are also uh, things that we're rolling out across all of our markets globally to ensure that, um, you know, we have positive portrayal of women, but also we work with women in order for our end products to be more unbiased. Um, so that's from an advertising point of view. Then there's the colleagues point of view, which you rightly addressed, Sarah, which I think is incredibly important to have, um, you know, more equality in the workforce. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do from a policy point of view to make it more uh, attractive for women to, for example, stay in a corporate career, if that's around maternity, if it's around um, coming back after your leave. But also we introduced this policy around domestic violence, that if you're a victim of domestic violence, you get paid leave, let's say, because we actually found that um, across the world, or yeah, I think across the world, or it's Europe, I should check the uh, stat, a one in four um, women deal with domestic violence at a certain point in their life. So that's also an issue. So it's really about digging into the data and seeing what is the issue that we are trying to address. And I think lastly, to your uh, point around suppliers, is that if you look at your whole uh, ecosystem of uh, companies that hang around a big brand and that you work with, there's also a lot of power you have uh, to influence who you work with and to pick your vendors and your suppliers. So we've recently announced a new um, a new policy in which 20% of our supplier criteria are um, influenced by uh, the purpose of a company, and that's mostly linked to their sustainability and inclusion practices. And if you therefore don't meet those, um, you might lose out on 20% of your uh, rating to become a vendor and therefore it will be more difficult or we won't work with you. So I think it's about really this holistic approach, looking across um, all of the various parts of your business from product to advertising to colleagues to partners, etc. And I think also maybe, you know, 100% equality would be amazing, but also I realize it's not realistic with the political structures that are in place as they are in our world. Uh, so it's also about being realistic, I'd say, and setting targets that are um, achievable, but ambitious. And I think there's a lot of ambitious targets out there and more and more companies are setting those. So that's very encouraging. And I think um, it's, it's a great place to, yeah, to start and um, have a long-term goal. That was 
a very comprehensive, really interesting answer. Um, you're right. There is so much there. And I think um, some of the things that you mentioned that stuck out for me that I think are just useful takeaways for everyone are just that the approach has to be holistic, long-term. I love what you said about it requiring grit. I just think that's such a, a good word and something for us to all keep in mind. Also, that it needs to be data-focused. I thought that the example that you just shared about domestic violence um, is really interesting because it's not something I've heard of any other company even uncovering as an issue. So if we need to use that data to find out what the actual issues are, representation in front of the camera, behind the camera, um, and then also using your power as a buyer, like everyone at every company has that. And I think that's really powerful. And then lastly, um, you know, trying to be ambitious while also being um, achievable. So maybe not trying to boil the ocean all at once, but making sure that we're setting achievable incremental goals. Um, so really a lot of useful stuff in there. And we could have a whole podcast just about that, I'm sure. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So slightly changing course, um, perhaps. Um, I'm curious to know if there's any one achievement in your career of which you're particular, particularly proud and why? Yeah, um, you know, I was thinking about this question and I, I think there's many things that I'm proud of and some are more profound than others. But one story that is a nice little story that always kind of um, pops up into my mind when people ask this question is uh, we've been so building on our commitment to gender equality. As I just outlined, we've been doing big International Women's Day campaigns for about five or six years now. And uh, when I first joined the global team um, in 2017, we were working on this new campaign, uh, which was all about um, young kids asking questions around gender inequality because of this idea that if you're young, you don't have uh, this vision of stereotypes, yet you, you're not born with stereotypes, but you learn them as you go on in life. And what if we would create a future without stereotypes? This was like the creative idea. And um, I was very persistent on having a female creative director for this campaign. Um, uh, as I said before, I think it's important that also women work behind the camera. And we got this incredible um, uh, German director, Hannah Maria Heydrich is her name. And she really loved the idea of these kids asking questions, but she said, I wanna take the job, but I'd like to add one scene to the ad. And that is, I want to have a little uh, fee a, a girl uh, dressed up as a um, film director asking, why are almost all the superheroes men? Because she said, that's for me, for my industry, that's a stereotype I'm trying to challenge. So could we add that to the film? And in the film, you'd had a doctor, a pilot. There was all these different various um, like jobs that the kids were representing. I really wanted to work with her. So I said, fine, let's add this scene to the film. And anyway, she did a great job. The campaign was a huge success. And then um, about two months after the campaign launched, I got this uh, little email from Disney uh, who wrote an uh, email saying, oh, we saw your campaign. We thought it was great. Specifically, this scene about uh, why are almost all the superheroes men resonated with us? Do you want to come over and have a chat? So I was like, OK, I'm interested. I'm interested to hear what this will be. So I went over to the team there and um, they said back then confidentially that they were going to launch their first female superhero film on International Women's Day the year after, which was Captain Marvel. So the first uh, female superhero lead film in the Marvel Universe. And they were like, we would be honored if you would be a partner um, for us on this film. They basically asked us to be the partner on this film because of um, also the... 
you know, the experience we already had on gender equality and the uh, and the commitments that we had made. Um, so we worked with them for a year and then we became the lead partner for Europe and Africa on this film. And we had a whole huge campaign the year after with Disney introducing this first female superhero. And I think it was, I'm proud of it because it was, you know, this little conversation I had with the director of adding this scene, which led to such a huge uh, additional campaign the year after. And I think it also shows that, you know, the, as an advertiser, you should only really talk about things that you actually do. And if you put in the grit, like I was just saying, and if you work on it for years and you have your programs and you put in the hard work, you earn the right to talk about it. And I think that's recognized then by the likes of other companies who then want to work with you on those topics. Um, so I think that one just showed our kind of long-term commitments and therefore it's uh, yeah, it was a heartwarming kind of story um, that we work with them on that. I love that. That's such a cool, you know, the juxtaposition across those two things. Um, so we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Afraid the time is almost up. Uh, and I really, um, I hate the fact that I've got, uh, I'm going to ask you this question because we're now heading towards the end of October. And I, and, and I really thought that by now we would no longer be talking about um, resilience through COVID, but sadly it is still very much happening around us. Um, so could you share with us anything that you've learned personally through, through the COVID kind of lockdown period? One positive thing that, that you will plan to take forward into 2021 and beyond? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. As you say, Belinda, it's been an interesting year, hectic, I'd say too. But um, I think one thing that I learned from COVID is obviously I work on purpose a lot and, you know, looking at how you can uh, positively contribute to society. And I think purpose has become quite a buzzword as well. A lot of companies are talking about it. But if I think there's one thing that we can take out of this crisis is that companies really, I think now have made the decision, are we purpose-led or not? Uh, we've been put under pressure to make a decision, you know, are we going to make um, our business decisions um, in order so that they contribute towards society, help part of society, or are we going to protect our uh, P&L solely and just um, make sure that we hit our numbers. And I think what we'll see at, after this year is what companies were really serious about it and have really embraced the opportunity to that uh, crisis like this brings to um, give back, do something good for the world and those who haven't. So I think there'll be a big shift, I'd say, in um yeah, in, in companies that really act to it or that are just talking about it. And I think uh, from our point of view, I think it's really encouraging to see that we've definitely made these decisions that uh, contribute towards society. And that's been very um, good to see too, if you work on a project like this. So we've been um, making more steps than I could have ever imagined that we would have in 2020 because of the uh, needs of society, let's say. So I think that is definitely a very positive outtake of the year. And I think there's many other brands like us who really have positively contributed and helped society in one way, shape or form. And I think that's a very heartwarming thing to see. And also something that we can all be optimistic about is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of 
companies and brands out there that uh, really do care about the communities they operate in. So I think that's uh, one reason to be optimistic for the future. Um, and um, yeah, so that's it. That's great. Uh, anything on a personal level? Have you, I mean, you're clearly an incredible self-starter and and nothing kind of holds you back so have you learned any new skills got any new hobbies any anything that has helped the days go by i have uh, embraced masterclass uh the online learning platform uh which has really uh brought me to many nights and weekends whilst we were in lockdown so i've been taking up writing a bit more which i used to do a lot and then um life happened and i didn't do that much anymore so that has uh, become a bigger focus for me and i think um you know I'm not sure how, if you would explain it as positive or negative, but I also now really appreciate an office environment. Uh, and, you know, I wish I could be back there and see my colleagues. And I think there's a renewed appreciation for going into the office. And uh, Sarah and I are both, both very keen to get, get oh, back in the office. Yeah, I miss it so much. And I mean, you could also explain it as a negative thing, but uh, yeah, I can't wait to get back into the hustle and bustle of working life, to be honest. So, um, yeah, in a way, I think it's a good thing that I miss it. Um, but yeah, let's hope that 2021 will uh, bring us some more positive times from that point of view. I think it's shown we're resilient, you know, we can uh, go on. Uh, I mean, I've cancelled my wedding twice. I've, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Annalise, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. That's okay. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you, you see that we're resilient as people and we adapt and uh, we, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll come through stronger at the other sides. But there's a lot to be optimistic about as well, I think. So, um, yeah. But it's been great joining you uh, today, uh, Belinda and Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. And thank you, Sarah. And um, let, I hope we can talk again soon. That was really, really interesting.